I think sometimes I do drops with the hopes that it's an educational purpose to like show people what's possible. Um, but on the other end, one of the biggest challenges artists have right now is putting all of our stuff in one spot that's easily accessible, whether it's, you know, First Mates or Right Click Save or Deca or any of these things. Uh, the fact that, you know, Emblem Vault's more accessible makes it a lot easier for me to go point people to get my fake rare. So, so it's a bit of both, you know, everything you, you can, you know, I've done weird drops on weird platforms. And, you know, I think I was, I was a part of the first Polygon key drop and like bridging was confusing and OpenSea didn't support it at the time. And it was a huge mess. And so like, as much as you try to push these things forward, sometimes you're pushing them a little too early. And so, you know, it's, it's always a building process, but I'm excited that uh, things are continuing to improve. Everyone talks about the ups and downs of the space, but I, I'm a real believer that we're just continuing to push forward constantly. Another Wednesday, another Pepe show. Adam, what's good? GMGM, high-speed internet finally. Looks like we're <laughs> in a row without internet connectivity issues. Bro, I'm, I'm rocking the fiber, baby. No more of this, like, you know cable modem stuff man fiber all the way down baby it is crisp and clean man delicious absolutely costa rica's finest i literally spent like two hours like running a i don't even know what they call that cable that looks like a big telephone line like around our house to like plug into my kids uh gaming thing so he could get his ping like 10 things lower uh, for his Fortnite game so that's what we that's what i've been working on man and if you know anything about ping 10 or i think he got his ping down 20 that's a big deal in, in Fortnite land. 20 ping is huge. Oh boy. All right. He's in. the top shooter at GM. <laughs> how are you feeling this morning? GM, GM, Adam, you sound better than ever. It's, it's <laughs> great all the time, but man, you are hard, hardwired, ready to rock. Another Pepe show. These things are going, going great. Always love kicking it with the Pepe squad. So uh, yeah, ready for another week. Yeah, dude. Coldy, long time at no talk, bro. I think it's been maybe six months since uh, Filthy Fiat. How you been? I've uh, been well. Good morning, everybody. Uh, yeah, I've been good. Just it's funny. I'm actually working on something else that is uh, associated with the, with that drop. So it's kind of fun. You know, these things aren't aren't are never one offs. It's fun when the the wheel keeps cranking on it. Yeah, I promise that curated collection is coming. <laughs> it is coming, right? It's almost a meme now at this point, but it it is absolutely on its way. So it will help. That was a fun time. I also have to add a caveat. Apparently, I thought the filthy Fiat was sold out. So Coldy and I were messaging me. He said that during that time when filthy fiat was selling on ethereum from his bitcoin ordinals apparently a pump group had come in and bought like a bunch of them and sent it to the floor or something of that nature so how Dude, it was crazy i mean you know that was literally remember what was happening it was like they were going instantly selling uh, it was weird what was happening there i don't know what was going on there was definitely like some hardcore flippers in there you know who are i don't yeah. even know yeah they tasted blood and the, the fucking sharks came in so uh as soon as i got wind of that i just kind of shut the whole thing down and they they tried to fuck over the whole collection basically so i just said no i'm gonna take control hold on to these guys and then uh, like i said i have a new thing coming so you know i'll be able to find the right homes to them soon yeah, it's crazy now looking at it ordinals hit 40 million inscriptions and that was uh, yeah and that was a sub <laughs> sub 1 million i think wasn't it or somewhere around there like 1.5 or something it wasn't i don't think it's was... yeah very very early in in the grand scheme of things yeah 40 million they just crossed it's uh, absolutely wild so we do have another featured faker artist on stage brian i'm excited to talk to you man big fan of your art it's always you know one of the favorites it seems like so uh, welcome to the show man appreciate you for joining us hey thanks for having me i'm also the president of the coldy fan club and uh yeah no it's great to be here 
Yeah, these these spaces are pretty fun. We get two, you know, two different fake rare artists together. Maybe they haven't been on stage together, and we just get to talk about Pepe's and art and everything of that nature. Start off with some top Pepe sales of the week. I have it here on the live stream. It's actually pretty good sales. Uh, the top sale was uh, B B A Pepe for four point six weeth. We have two package claims sold for two point three ETH and one point six nine weeth. We all we are all Pepe two weeth. Trump Rare, 1.06 Weath, Pepe Lisa, 1 Weath, I'm Pepe, 1 ETH, and Dank Pepe, 1 Weath, man. It was firing on all cylinders. Dude, there are some sharks in the water in the Pepe, Rare Pepe collection and the Fake Rares collection. Two people specifically, one person, uh, Lord Flashar. I don't know who this person is, man, but this person has spent at least 50 ETH over the last month or two since the Rare Pepe curated. They are coming wow. in and trying to buy all of the Pepe's there is, um, I know Brinkster, shout out to him, man. He's been purchasing a lot. And there's a few other wallets that I've been noticing popping up slowly. Once that bull market does come back in, I think uh, Pepe's are going to be flying, man. I noticed that that package claim one, because I just see it on the timeline all the time as it's been, as it's selling, you know, because uh, it's so memorable. I, I just love that one. It's a, it's a pretty cool one. Yeah, it seems like everyone loves Joe Peace. I actually had no idea who he was until Fake Rares. So it was pretty cool. Um, that was my introduction to a, a lot of these ETH NFT artists. So last fa artist of Fake Rare show, we had Jake Freed and and Batstu was on. That was fun. Uh, easiest way for us to start the conversation, uh, we'll toss it up to Brian first. Just give us a you know brief explanation. Who's Brian Brinkman? And how would you categorize your artistic style in NFT land? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, I'm an artist. I've been doing this for, you know, 20 plus years, uh, working in all sorts of industries along the way and doing independent art on the side. Uh, I got into NFTs almost four years ago. I think I'm about to hit my four year mark. And uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been an awesome journey. My art is often a mixed media of animation, a generative 3D and all sorts of other stuff. I, I love mixing and matching and kind of using fun visuals and iconography along with colors to kind of tell tell stories about my experiences within the space and my feelings on things. And yeah, no, uh, you know, I have I have art all over and uh, my Pepe card, Flickr Pepe, was a part of season 10, I believe. And it's, it's based on a style of animation that I do in the space called Flickr Fusion, which is kind of a, a faux neon light flicker effect. Uh, and so, yeah, no, it's like Coldy go now. Yeah, how about you, Coldy? Same question proposed to you. Uh, what was the question? Like, <laughs> who are you in 30 seconds now? <laughs> Why are you so cold, Coldy? Trying to figure that out every day, you guys. Yeah, so I'm a, similar to Brian. I'm, I'm but a mixed media artist. Uh, my jam uh, throughout my life has been stereoscopics. So I got into art by uh, making art using 3D glasses. Uh, so I've always been trying to fool the eye, and uh, you know, by putting 3D glasses on you know, the images pop off the paper or the screen. And that always just like rattled my chains. I was like, holy shit, like I, I got a kick out of that. So that kind of just really got me deep into art making. And, you know, through that, I've uh, experimented with a bunch of different types of stereo, um, including lenticular prints and physical art. Um, I'm doing VR uh, stereo art now and some other stuff that's coming out shortly. And uh, that kind of plays into my uh, Pepe. Um, it's called Trompe Pepe. And the, there's a French word for, it's called, uh, fuck this up, I don't even know how to really say Maybe Brian can fix that. I'm sure all the French people are just putting your face on. <laughs> don't put that suck. on me. You just seem more cultured than me. 
So there's there's this French word that's fool the eye. So it, it starts with Trump. So I said Trump, like fool Pepe, like fool the Pepe, fool the eye. I mean, it has a little wink in there. Pepe's eye is winking at you. So I try to use uh, the play on words uh, kind of from my, my style of art and make the dankest uh, Pepe because I collect Pepe's too. So, you know, I've looked at these things for years and years. And I was, if, I was like, if I ever have a chance to make a Pepe, it's got to be really dank. So I did, I did my very best. When did you, when did you first run into Pepe? When was your, your first, do you remember the first time you saw a rare Pepe? I, I first saw my Pepe, I guess, I mean, when I was searching for crypto art in like 2017, I mean, you know, I did a search and the only things that came up were like crypto punks and, uh, you know, crypto kitties and, and Pepe for the most part. So I would say like, I got a introduction there. Uh, but then when I met people like uh, I met Rare Skrilla at a Bitcoin 2019 show in San Francisco, and that's where I really got a dose of the culture. And that's what really kind of woke me up to everything. Previously, when you saw Pepe online, did you view it as a meme? Would you, did you ever initially consider it as an art form where, it, where Pepe is now considered, you know, this like it's its own domain? Was there ever a transition of, of considering it meme to this artistic form or did you always consider it art? You know, I always looked at it as art because it was just so diverse, but there was a theme to it. So it's easy to kind of like put it into that box if I'm looking at like my art history context. But, you know, the meme culture grew so much like, after I came in. And I think that like, you know, all these other memes helped kind of like solidify in my mind, like what the hell is a meme? You know, because that wasn't in my vernacular, like kind of artistically growing up. But uh, it's a no-brainer looking backwards. It's like, yeah, goddamn, like these are the most epic memes ever. I agree. I'll propose Brian the same question to you. You know, first, congratulations on celebrating four years as a as an artist in the space. You know, that's uh, you know quite some credibility. At what point during your your NFT artistic career did you uh, come across rare Pepe or just Pepe tokenized Pepe's in any type of art form? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you know, I've, I've been a fan of boys club since the old comics. I have, I still have those like paperbacks from, you know, someone of uh, my old roommate went to Portland and bought them at a comic shop and brought them back to me. And I was like, oh, really? That's um, you know, I've always kind of been a fan of Matt Fury and, and that world. When I joined the NFT space, I wasn't very aware of like the rare Pepe's, but I was aware of like the fan art of Pepe. I was collecting twerky Pepe's, if you guys remember that, like 2020 thing. And, you know, there was all these kind of different, you know, I, I didn't really understand the meme aspect of it as much as I understood there was like fan art because prior to NFTs, I was doing like pop culture gallery shows like Gallery 1988 or Bottleneck where you make kind of like high-end fan art. And to me, this was like, oh, Pepe, this is just a bunch of Pepe fan art. Uh, and then I think through various ways, I kind of learned more about the the rare Pepe's and the fake rares and this kind of culture. And then I had a better understanding. Uh, and then I, you know, I didn't actually start collecting them until right around the time I started making my own and getting a wallet set up. Uh, I'd always seen them. I would say my favorite card that's still on my wish list is the good hair Pepe, if I'm saying it right. So yeah, I think uh, it's, it's always been around, but it it slowly built to the point where I kind of got a fuller picture of it. But I always kind of knew it because of like Matt Cain's Homer Pepe homage piece and stuff like that. And, you know, for me, the Pepe's have been kind of a, a weird history book of the space where you kind of look back and you see not just about the space, but in culture in general, it's memeing everything from everyday life. Really, really the first uh, derivative, the original derivative, because when you go through Rare Pepe, 1774 different cards, they're all uniquely derived from either, you know, 
IRL people, shows like The Simpsons, uh, moments from the crypto community. And it, it has this variation of, is it news? Is it memes? Is it entertainment? Is it art? I think that's what makes it makes Pepe very, very beautiful. But it began initially on Bitcoin, right? And so fake rares were also minted on Bitcoin. Uh, Brian, was was your fake rare the first foray into minting art on Bitcoin? And if so, uh, what was that experience like and how did it differ from from Ethereum? Yeah, it was. And it definitely, it, it, it made me, it put me in that headspace I was when I first started minting on Ethereum, where I was like feeling lost and watching tutorials and reaching out for help. And thankfully, there's wonderful documentation. Uh, shout out to all the people that have made like videos that walk you through it. And I was able to do it pretty easily, but you know, it's it was, you know, setting up a free wallet and all that stuff. Yeah, it was, you know, I haven't done an ordinal yet, but I'm sure ordinals will be just as complicated. I know he's done ordinals, but yeah, no, I thought it was cool. And it was interesting. I, you know, it made me understand more about the Bitcoin blockchain by going through that process. Did you have any type of, or was there any varying of your artistic expression on Bitcoin? I mean, it is through a Pepe instead of, you know, just your general media. Did it, did it feel like a different type of cultural experience? No, I mean, it, it felt in the same kind of degen world as a lot of the other stuff. Because, you know, even on Ethereum, there's these kind of like, you know, alcoves of smaller niche groups that you kind of create stuff for. But I think where it was interesting is, you know, you have to kind of follow some rules with in terms of naming and all these other aspects of it. And like, I, I really enjoy the concept of having to burn that card in order to make a, a new one and this kind of scarcity that there will be a finite amount. I think that's like, I haven't seen that concept done on Ethereum in that same way. And I thought that was really cool. It is really uniquely. Uh, Coldy, you're a little bit more experienced in the art or minting your art to Bitcoin now. You have your fake rare on Counterparty. You've done a Bitcoin Ordinals collection. Uh, take us through the experience of uh, creating art on Bitcoin. Oh, uh, experience and uh, minting on Bitcoin do not go together. And after uh, decades of smoking so much weed, I have no idea what I did back then. But but what I what I can say is the first time I minted an ordinal, uh, Raphael helped me uh, figure this shit out. But I I literally was looking at my uh, Sparrow wallet that I randomly opened up like a couple of days ago, and I saw my Casey Rod Armor Satoshi. So I assume I did it right. I don't fucking know. But I I went through the process much like Brian, like scouring tutorials and like kind of hoping and praying and then we saw like a confirmation but even the the minting didn't go correctly because i thought i could do an animated gif but i couldn't so like you know it was the exact like like what brian's saying it's like it felt like the starting over point which was nice where i i quote unquote failed on my first like execution but that was wonderful like it a true experiment and i was left with this uh, memory and artwork and luckily i had help for my ordinals drop because it was my uh, filthy fiat because it was much more complicated it was uh, minting 300 frames of an uh, animation and i needed help with compression i needed help getting these things like batch minted so you know the tools grew between my first two releases but i I can't say that I had any idea what was really happening. Uh, Dogfather, what's on your mind? Question? Man, that, that's so cool to hear. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of both of you. And uh, just for all the people from ETH joining to this space, 
it, it, it has changed so much. I mean, now it's really two clicks and you can inscribe your stuff. You can have all kinds of cool features called like parent-child inscription and recursion and re-inscription. All pretty cool techniques that even succeed to or can do more than you can do on ETH. So I can only highly recommend to, to dive into that. So uh, the times of Sparrow Wallet, like in February, <laughs> March, are over. And now we have like very sleek interfaces. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And I can only highly recommend everyone to experiment uh, a bit more uh, on all notes. That, that's super cool to hear. Cause I, I want to dive in, but like, I get this like anxiety barrier. That's just like, Oh God, like it's like a PTSD thing. So I'm glad that there's new tools. Cause I, uh, you show me, you show me a tool and you know, I can create around it. So yeah, I'll definitely take you up on that and, uh, and learn some more. Yeah, Dogfather's definitely the person to the knowledgeable one. He's the the stats and analytics guy, so he can definitely help you with there. The the tooling and infrastructure is much vastly uh, improved since we did it. Just for those who aren't aware, Coldy and Emblem Vault and Ordinals bought, and we did a, a collaboration to where Coldy had this ten second, he had this 10, 10 second artistic piece, but at the time in March, um, there really wasn't any type of tooling. So we decided to split it up into 300 unique panes. And then we had Ordinals bot inscribe them and then send them into 300 individual vaults, which then we then sold on Ethereum because Coldy's community was primarily ETH dominant. So it just made it a, a better experience altogether. And now we're a little bit farther along. So the tooling is much better, but still not completely there. But Again, not as not as terrifying as it once was. I saw Jams has his hand up, so a GM to you. Hi, 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 everyone. So cool to be here. Uh, yeah, now maybe the challenge with Ordinals is paying the price of inscribing. Like when, when almost one year ago when it started, it was very affordable, and now when you want to inscribe something, it's like whoa, the transaction fees are crazy. But it's also the cool part of trying to make the the smallest file that you can make and and in the end it gives artifacts and some style to the art that's pretty cool yeah yeah definitely is and, and i'll jump in like i think you're you exactly nailed it because as we look back all of these experiments and things that we have to do to get it done it'd be people who know the scene like it's almost like a little like scrapbook where it's like oh i remember back then when you had to do it this way and i think there's like a certain artistic touch that i embrace in that or i'm not trying to like be I'm just trying to be as cutting edge as what I can get done. So it's awesome that there's new tools because there wasn't a tool back then. So we had to like fofo and just fucking do it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's part of that. That's part of the beauty of being early. Sorry, go ahead, Jamex. No, I got I got to inscribe some very early ordinals. Yeah, like Goldie say, what well, like I I need to seek help, right? Like oh, I don't know how to do this. It's so stressing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What's, yeah. what's going on, Brian? Well, I was just gonna follow up on what Goldie was saying because Goldie knows back when I joined the space in early 2020, videos weren't allowed on like super rare. Uh, you had to work to get as much information and animation and frames into. 50 megabytes of animated GIF as possible. And it was that same dilemma of like, how do you crunch the the compression as much as possible to get as much as you can out of this? And I see that same thing happening now with Ordinals. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, but it's lovely, right? Like, sorry, Jake. It's Good. lovely to know that the art is on the blockchain, that there is no third party, no IFPS. Like if you have a Bitcoin node, Bitcoin node in your house, the art is there. And that's 
amazing to think about it. Brian, you, you brought up the interesting point about super rare and kind of, you know, how the space has progressed. You know, maybe, maybe this is a touchy t- topic for, for artists, but how have you adjusted to this you know, whole royalty situation? Um, it's interesting, right? Because when you are on Bitcoin, there's no expectation of royalties. But on Ethereum, that was kind of built in to the ideology over the last four or five years. But now it's kind of being pushed in a different direction. We saw a lot of layoffs from Super Rare. But from a you know one of the top artists in the space, um, how have you made adjustments? And what is your perspective on kind of the ongoing situation in the the NFT art world? I mean, I haven't really made huge adjustments. I'm still kind of going about things in the same way. I think that the biggest adjustment is there's a disconnect that there used to be a connection between artist and collector where we were both kind of working together for the greater, you know, their success was my success and my success was their success. Now I feel like it's a little disjointed in that way, where like once the primary is over, it's just a bunch of collectors doing their thing outside of your purview to a degree. So I, I do, I do uh, kind of lament the fact that we lost that. But I do think, in terms of the art side of the space, most collectors are still very supportive, and you know, many still pay royalties. Yeah, I don't know. I think where I've seen the biggest change is like, you know, as an artist, two years ago, I priced a lot of my work probably half of what I should have because I figured I would recoup the difference over time with royalties. Now I'm a little more, I have to kind of price things without that kind of leeway. And I have to, you know, shrink my supplies down and not, you know, you don't, I never did open editions, but like, I think the open edition meta is now dead because there's no real, you know, it only hurts the artist in the long run to put out that huge supply where they're not seeing any sort of value given back. So there is some adjustments. I think, you know, I used to love giving like airdrops to collectors, knowing that if they flipped it around, it was basically free, free money for them. And I would get a little tip on the side. Now it just hurts my supply, you know? And so, you know, there's some adjustments, but overall it's not changed my strategy a huge amount, but I feel like there's less fun to be had, if that makes sense. What do you think, Colby? Uh, Yeah, I think, yeah, much the same thinking in my mind we've we've kind of gone from a blockchain contract to like a social contract and i think it's like you know over the you know five years i've been tokenizing i've done a a really strong effort to kind of curate my community in a sense where i have people around me you know that have that have held art for five years right they got these things early on super rare and they're like coveted things that we have conversations about and like that's you know, created relationships out IRL. Like I hang out with people. Like, and I think that it's not just, a, I mean, it is, I think the, you know, secondaries with, with a lot of my collectors, especially these diamond hand collectors, when they sell it, like they've already let it be known. Like it doesn't matter like if it comes out of the contract or not. Like they, they want to like celebrate this artwork and, you know, someday when it sells, they're like, oh dude, you're going to get a commission. Like who cares about all the noise about, who deserves what it's we're in this together and you know that's cool and i don't ever expect that but you know when that happens it's awesome you know because that was the ethos that brought so many artists here like we can be living artists that can actually live on our art you know like the monet family like probably didn't get much from that biggest sale that just happened like or they got nothing they got maybe some notoriety for you know monet but this is like the paradigm and if we crush that paradigm fully i think it takes a lot of the it just changes the narrative back to the old ways of trad art you know and and i think there's a way to work together but i think we can teach each other things and trad art can 
can look at what we're doing and maybe like say like wow that's like kind of cool that you that you guys are doing that you know so, have you guys seen anything uh, that's kind of unique or uh, just different as far as anything artists are doing to create uh, and encourage the payment of royalties through either like gated communities or you know have you seen anything that yeah. seems to work in that direction um, i think everyone's experimenting just touch on coldy i think you know, i had a piece resell at sotheby's uh, a couple months ago and they did honor royalties so I think it's like, you know, this ethos is working more than outside of the Web3 space than inside the Web3 space somehow. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think Matt, or not Matt, uh, Pendar was giving, sending people postcards as a, you know, thank you to people that pay royalties. He's doing a new drop this week that the first 50 people that pay royalties over the sale price will get a physical print. And so I think, you know, there's interesting aspects i'm curious to see what yuga labs does with magic eden in terms of incentivizing with ape tokens or i don't know what their plans are but that could be a blueprint you know i i do think incentives are better than punishment we don't ever want to like make people feel punished for collecting and supporting our art that's never something i want to do but i want to encourage people to tip <laughs> if that makes sense you know yeah, I agree as well. Right, the other and, and one thing, ahead, and, and I'll hop in there again. I think there's there's always been ways to augment betting on yourself, and I think a lot of artists and one of the first person people I ever saw do this was Josie. She always kept her number one editions, and I think you know whatever happens with royalties, there's different ways to bet on yourself. You know, you can bet on yourself through building community. You can bet on yourself by owning your own art and sometimes purchasing back your own art, which I, I bought back my own Genesis piece because it was available. And I was like a collector and myself, I was like, I want to own that thing. So I bought it back. Right. So I think, and I know Brian, I think it has done the same thing. There's just different avenues that I think artists need to look at and not just say, Oh man, Commissions are gone. Uh, there's no way to like benefit on my own success. Well, there is, you know, like you got to like put your money where your mouth is sometimes, you know? Yeah. And, you know, shout out to fake rares. I mean, I think all the artists get 10% of their supply, which is great, which I immediately went and traded to a bunch of other artists to get their fake rares. You know, and I think that's like the fun aspect of it. And I've bought back some of mine on uh, secondary as well, because I, again, I, I want to keep trading other artists and build up my fake rare collections in a way that like it's going into artists that appreciate me and I'm appreciating them. And that's like the best way to do it. So yeah, I think yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways to go about it, but you know, I'm still very optimistic about the space. And I think the more people understand like artists making a living is better for their whole ecosystem than collectors making all the money as well. You know, a collector should make 95% or whatever, but that little tip helps the artists keep making art. Go ahead. Well, it's okay that sometimes royalties don't work, but yeah, like they say, it was like embedded in the spirit of the new technology. And I sometimes miss it because it, it, having royalties could open the door to a new way of work entirely. For example, I'm focused on animation and I always dream, well, someday I'm, I could make an animation with five animators helping me and I could grant them. Like I could automatically grant them some piece of the art if it gets reselled or anything, right? Like it, for like humanity, I think that that technology could benefit in many, like have a deep impact in, in other activities. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a lot uh, just in regards to like gaming and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, at some point we, ha we have to be able to, there, there has to be a place for royalties, uh, certainly when it comes to like, if we ever really want NFTs to be a part of gaming, you have to get the royalty kind of situation figured out. 
But uh, J.D. Harmony, what's up, man? Hello, everyone. Thank you for letting me speak. I just wanted to share a little bit uh, of what I've learned in the past year as a developer and also as a Web3 community member. And I think this topic is key, figuring out how artists can thrive in the space. Um, And there are technologies out there that are trying to figure this out. And, you know, I came into the space because, because I saw the R Drive team was in here. And what they're working on in our in our weave with the pro web, it's I think is important for music artists. So if no one has uh, heard of atomic assets or the universal data license, these are things that some really smart people are working on right now on that network, which allows you to store your your art or your music, your contract, and also tags that can can point to a license detailing. What are the terms of use for your contents? Once you have that atomic assets on the permaweb, then what builders need to do is build a platform around it where the UI is going to, for example, allow artists to get paid every time a song is streamed or allow artists to get paid royalties. But this is going to be implemented on-chain right inside of the asset with all of the things that you need to have this music NFT live on the on the blockchain. So, you know, it, it's great that, that, Brian, you mentioned that or, or whoever mentioned it before. There are technologies out there. It is on us to do the research and figure out how to make this work. But I can tell you firsthand, with the universal data license, and what they're doing with Atomic Assets, I think this is the way the way forward for music NFT artists. And I just wanted to share that because they're in here uh, and the Art Drive team, they're, they're great and they're working on solving these issues right now as we speak. And, and thank you for letting me speak. Cool. Can you if, you, if you find a tweet about that product, can you pin it to the top of the spaces? Would love to, to share more about that for everybody that's here. Uh, you oh, know- I'm on it. So right now. Appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I like to do a lot of like comparing and contrasting of different types of ecosystems. And again, right, Bitcoin started in this way of as uh, fake rares does, you hold back a certain amount of the supply and then you have a primary sale and then you work to trade with artists and it has, it builds this like kind of communal effort. It was very similar to kind of how the ETH NFT started, right? CryptoPunks held back 10% of the supply. Ultimately, they ended up you know, selling part of that into an auction and, and so on and so forth. And then uh, I believe the royalty uh, structure started with Dada um, back at the end of 2017. And then um, OpenSea really just radicalized it and showed that this was the, the proper way to go. And then in the bear market now, right, Blur and all these type of tokenomic kind of incentive systems that favored liquidity, right, more than it, than it favored kind of royalties, the primary liquidity, kind of sent everything to zero. Adam and I talk about this kind of a lot about how royalties are on its way to zero, but honestly, at the, this pace, marketplace fees might go to zero <laughs> as well. And Is it, it all going to zero? Please tell me it's not all going to zero, bro. <laughs> when, you think, when you think about when you think about that world, right? It kind of yeah, amazing. creates a little bit more of a level playing field between the the creators and the the marketplaces. But then it, it creates this world of just straight tokenomic incentives, which could be a quite quite crazy world, right? Quite lucrative, but it also, you know, the I guess you'd say like the integrity and some of the morals kind of get lost when when you get this like kind of hyper tokenomic world. That's kind of where I see it, it's going. But with the different chains with Bitcoin, right? It's just it's been the same way, and I don't see that changing. Whereas Ethereum, right? The foundation of Ethereum is always consistently changing with upgrades, and it seems like it's just this never ending game of whack-a-mole, but I would love to welcome and hear what Carsonated has to say to the stage. One of the OGs, Faker artists. What is, what is good, bro? You there? You're muted, man. 
No, we can't hear you. You got to leave and come back, I guess. We, we, we lost you. Go ahead, Colby, man. What's up? I'll say I don't hear him. Uh, and, and just uh, one thing to add to that narrative is what there was a group of us uh, spearheaded by Matt Cain and Sparrow and Bart Ionson, and a, a lot of money was in that piece. Where, where there was a thing that happened where the platform started with 10% commissions and then it went down to three. And there was a manifesto made where all of, uh, you know, there's like 15 of us that we all signed this thing saying, hey, we have to stand up for the artists that are coming ahead of us, uh, as well as ourselves, that uh, we need to all agree between the, the marketplaces, the collectors and the artists that 10% is, uh, you know, if we can all agree on that, then we'll, we'll keep minting on the platforms, right? We, we had to make a stand. And that was a huge moment uh, for all of crypto artists. Most of them had not come yet. But there was a lot of uh, like kind of risk that we put on the line to, to like stand up for that because just like taxes keep going up, there's no way to ever change the trajectory. And when it came to royalties, we couldn't bear seeing that 10% go to three because once you go from 10 to three, you're basically going to be a zero the next time, right? So I think keeping that narrative alive and like we're always fighting for that shit. Like I'm not willing to say uh, royalties are over. It's, it's not, right? So it's just we're in a phase where we need to figure out what's equitable and and maybe like find ways for that to work for everybody. But like it's not dead at all. T totally agree with you. I think, you know, we, and we've discussed it a lot because it's a big, it's a big issue and it's not only a big issue for, you know, artists, which is obviously is a big issue, but it's a, it's an issue for projects. It's a big issue for gaming across the board. And I, I do feel like it, it's at the point where I feel like it will get solved to some degree. And maybe it's a, an atomical solution. Maybe it's just, you know, tweaking the, the contracts themselves as, as with Brian, I'm very excited to see what what Yuga and Magic Eden come up with, what their strategy is. You know, just seeing this all play out, it's going to be pretty interesting over the next couple of years. But I think we, what we've seen is like when you take away royalties and it just becomes this blur, you know, race to the bottom thing, it's just, it's really not great for anybody except traders. And, you know, most of us here are not simply traders, right? We trade, but we're also collectors. We're also artists. We're also building projects, right? So there's so much more to it. Carson, are you back, man? Can we, can we get your... Uh, your mic figured out? Hopefully I'm back. Can you guys? You're back. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for having me up. Thanks for putting up with my <laughs> lo-fi tech situation here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to, uh, I just kind of wanted to pop up and pop in because I know there's probably going to be a lot of new fake rare participants and artists that are probably interested in participation. And I wanted to kind of straighten something that I did here a few minutes ago. I heard uh, that fake rare artists get 10% of their supply and and I wanted to I wanted to clarify how the directory works that in fact artists get 100% of their supply and I think that's important for people that are going to be coming in to know that they have the ultimate decision with their creation. So there is no museum, there is no required burn, there is no required gifting or anything with any of your supply. Once you're in the directory, it's 100% freedom for you to do as you see fit, as you decide. And the directory would prefer everybody distributes and gets those things out there, but we've had situations where there are very lightly distributed cards, and that's not really that we would see get pushed on or, you know, a tap on the shoulder and say, hey, you need to get those out in the world, you know, but there are there are different distribution mechanisms that people use. 
like the dispensers, a scarcity, emblem vaults, Pepe UTF drops, and all of those different places have their own structure and their own requirements. So saying that that uh, you get to keep 10% of your supply, I just wanted to make sure everybody knows you keep 100% of your supply and you get to decide how you work with those third-party entities, just so that nobody's confused and thinks that there's some hard and fast rule that they get 10% of what they make. You you get to decide what you do with your art 100%. The directory is basically a magazine or a book publisher that is including you into a collection, not so much a rule maker about how you share your art with the world. Very cool. Very, thank great, you, great clarification. The, the one, one of the fascinating aspects of the Pepe community is Carson, which you spoke on the, the variety of distribution mechanisms, right? When you, when you hang out on, on ETH, the primary distribution is, Hey, just sell it on OpenSea. But when you're in the, when you're on Bitcoin or you're in the Pepe community, you're essentially like your own Pepe dealer <laughs> and it's right. You're, you're like, Brian, you're going to go trade them, trade the cards with other individuals. Do you want to go sell some on ETH? Do you want to go, do you want to go uh, trade these or, or put them into a game or just hold on to them and, and rise the market? That's what I've always found fun because it's, it's another layer of social kind of theory or game theory within itself. That's kind of wrapped up in the, the community because of the non-standardization of Bitcoin and, and how all the token systems are all kind of unique within themselves. So Jake, is... on that, I'd love to, I'd love to get uh, Brian. I think we've had, I've asked this to Coldy before when we've had him on, but Brian, I'd love your viewpoint on that. If we have any, you know, artists, aspiring artists out, you know, listening to this now, how you look at it, because a lot of artists I talk with, they don't know how to market, how to sell, you know, they're, they're, they want to just be artists, right? They don't want to have to like shield their art, right? How do you look at that and how do you kind of frame it for yourself? Like, and how would you advise a, a young artist who's, who's, who, but geez, I don't know how to sell cards. I don't want to sell cards, right? Like just looking at it from their perspective, how do you, how do you view that? And what advice would you give to, to a young artist thinking about that? And in, in terms of in general or in terms of the, just in the, I mean, you could take a very specific example, like with, with, uh, you know, fake, fake rares, right. Where it's like, well, how do you think about, you know, becoming, you know, selling your art, like just in the most basic yeah. sense, right? And and getting yeah. over that hurdle. Because I think you do it really well as I follow you on on X and stuff. You do, you know, it's not shilly at all. It's very, you know, connective in yeah. nature. I just love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, in in general, I I've given the advice of kind of dividing yourself three ways. One is making art, the other is making marketing material and tweets and marketing art, and the other is authentically being a part of the space and connecting with people and having real conversations and kind of integrating into communities. So with fake rare, one of the things I recommend to artists is try to target things in the space that are, I don't know how to describe it, a vibe or a part of the culture or a community that really cares about the bigger picture of things. Sometimes that could be something like the memes cards or the noble cards or the fake rares. You know, I look at those type of things, you know, ordinals is that right now as well. You kind of, you go, what is the culture building right now that will probably last over a certain period of time and still be a tight group of people? And so targeting those as like communities to get involved with is much smarter than trying to chase the daily FP drop that's going to pump and dump. And so I think, you know, that's just my advice for artists is look around at the things that are not just hot right now, but the things that have been building over time and are still active and have a strong community in Telegram and stuff like that. Those are the ones that if you're going to be a part of it, 
you're not just selling your art, you're a part of this bigger ecosystem. And then you're a part of the culture that grows out of that. You know, some of the things I think back on, like the worm NFT, you know, I did a an airdrop for the first hundred. Like that to me is a cool culture built around this NFT that had nothing to do with money. It was all about community. And, you know, same with uh, having like a trait in crypto dick butts. Like that's the kind of thing that like, you don't think about it at the time, but you're like, oh, this is fun and goofy. And then a couple of years later, it's like a cult, you know, and then you're a part of this cult indefinitely because you're embedded into its culture. And so that's just advice for artists is to kind of look at where you think interesting things are building. Brian, I, I got to ask you, what number, uh, what number did you get the worm? I'm, I'm 34. I, I grinded for that worm. Dang, what number early, are you? Early. I'm, I'm in the eighties or nineties. I forget nice. exactly which one, but I, I, I definitely got into some people's DMS and I was like, I see you have the worm. Can I please have <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That was a really fun experience. Uh, Brian, Brian, I do have one, one kind of deeper question as well. You mentioned not, you know, trading PFPs and stuff, but you do have a, a piece of artwork or a collaboration with Goblin Town, um, which I found fun. It, I own a few of those. I'm, I'm a big Goblin Town fan, and take us through your experience as a, you know, as an individual artist, but then contributing to projects that maybe you have and some some ideological viewpoints that you share. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, when the Goblins first came out, I was salty. I didn't have them running up to a crazy amount of money. But then I slowly realized that uh, the people behind it were people I knew. Uh, I, I, I'd, I'd met Caesar, and I've now become buddies with Process Gray, who's an absolutely incredible artist. And kind of, you know, I knew about truth uh, and all that kind of stuff. And I knew the kind of the ethos of what they were building, again, was more of a cult community than a... PFP. And so when they kind of did this grumple drop, which the reason I kind of, you know, I got paid with a, they paid me a goblin and a grumple essentially. And then they split all the artists royalties, which you know, doesn't really matter anymore. I think we made like an ETH or two off of it. The, the idea was, you know, these are free and they're a surprise. And I get excited about that kind of stuff. I, I don't, you know, if, if it can be purely fun, then it's exciting. And so with the Grumples, what I liked about it was it allowed me to kind of make a PFP project, but it didn't have to be a 10K project. It was, I think, 180 total PFPs as a part of this bigger collection. But it still let me kind of work that artistic gear of like, how would I build a PFP if I could? Uh, and so for me, it was it was kind of just like a fun experiment with very low risk because it's only 180 and it's also part of this other thing that had awesome artists like Adam Tastic and Mumbot and Tifatron and, you know, amazing other artists. And so you know, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, that it, it was kind of separate from the goblins in a way where it was like, we can all just build our own versions of what the goblin could be. And so, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I look back at that one pretty fondly. I, I like those, what I like what I came up with with those. Yeah, the your art came out fantastic. I love the one with the the glasses. It's uh, it reminds, reminds, me a, your nouns. reminds me a little bit of uh, Captain Underpants artistic style. Oh, yeah, see that? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, Process Gray is like so stupidly talented. It's insane. Like he can so many different styles. Uh, I got to go on a retreat with him earlier this year up to Ghost Shrimp's cabin camp in, the, in Vermont. And I was just watching him like paint with brushes on paper and it just blew my mind. He was able to just craft an insanely awesome art in like seconds.
Yeah, that is that is a cool experience. Jamex, I know you've had a, your hand up. Thank you for being patient. No, don't worry. Well, constructing on what Brian says is like the NFT space is full of open studios, and that's super cool. They're like it's an open studio, and you can join and try to make a Pepe or with the goblins and the moffers, and it's like inside cartoons or inside uh, IP that that it, that it's alive, and that's amazing. And something that Carson was saying that. It's really cool about Pepe is that when you get to the directory, maybe you, you don't sell it. You just hold your stash of Pepe's, but eventually somebody, and that's super social. Eventually somebody's going to look for you and it's going to say, hey, could you sell me one of those Pepe's? And that feeling is amazing because sometimes you forget about the Pepe and, and months later somebody wants to have like a complete set of Pepe's. And if your Pepe is there, it's like, well, I need your Pepe. <laughs> that's super cool. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Uh, Dogfather, what's on your mind? Yeah, I want to chime in on on uh, what Casanato was saying and JMX. I mean, I think the Peppy and the, the the fake the fake rares are like the ideal community to be in a community, right? Because you trade with others, you want to build a collection. Everyone is in the same boat. You have like crazy OGs in there, like Red Skrilla and then other, you know, Peppy artists from you know back in the days and. The word NFT was not around. So you hang around with these OGs, you trade cards, uh, you have fun. I haven't, I haven't met anything uh, close to that. So um, they, they created the, the crypto art movement and the fake rares are an ideal opportunity to, you know, have a similar community. Some of the old members, some new ones like uh, like Brian and Coley and you know, Dimitri Chenyak and, you know, all, all these ETH superstars all coming to, uh, together and, and, and forming a community. So I think uh, you, you cannot be more bullish about something like that, the project like that. I mean, we, we cannot you know, thank Resquare enough, uh, big props to him to put together such a the great, you know, community and, and pushing that, doing IRL events. And man, I, I love that so much. I tried to, to, to get in with some, you know, mediocre artwork. I was rejected. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's why you see it's it's a high quality. It's like you know it's high quality when they reject me, man. Hundred percent. If, if they let me into a club, it, it's a shitty club, right? Yeah. It's not good enough to to go there if, if they let me in. Yeah. No, I, I'm just I'm, I'm just kidding. It's it's really like for everyone who is listening to the recording or live here, try your luck and be be creative uh, and be part of the the Pepe community. I mean that's that's awesome. I, I did a, a quick analysis that many of the OG Pappies are also active in the, in the fake rares. I mean, how, how cool is that? I mean, you, you're like working and trading and forming a community with like the, the true OGs of our space, plus all the, the, the newcomers and the, the, the superstars from ETH. Uh, wow, I mean, that, that, that's so cool. I, I really, I mean, I, I love the Pappies. Yeah, the, the cross-pollination of, of artists between Bitcoin and the, the variety of Bitcoin protocols in Ethereum, you know, I think it's a lot more apparent during this bear market than than it's really ever been. Probably because there's just a little bit more experimentation, and and now the Bitcoin ecosystem is a little bit uh, grown a little bit further. But you know, we've talked about this on the show a lot. You watch the progression of kind of the the Pepe values of rare Pepe move over to fake rares, which then kind of moved over to to ETH with notable Pepe's, right? And then fake rares brought the ETH artists over to Binance, right? And then notable Pepe took took the Bitcoin Pepe artists over to Ethereum, and now Ordinals, right? And Coldy experimented with Ordinals, and now I think recently with BitGod's Perpetuals drop, where they he brought 21 artists over from from Ethereum to do this kind of like collective. It, to me, it it feels very very obvious that 
there's going to be a lot more synchronicity between the the Bitcoin and ETH NFT art communities um, than ever before. And I do think Pepe and the, the values that the Red Pepe communities instilled um, is, is a main uh, reason why that is uh, that proliferation is now happening. Uh, what's up, Ryan? Yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to Emblem Vault. I mean, the the recent changes you guys have made to giving each collection its spot on OpenSea effectively has been enormous for attention. And I think, you know, to collectors out there, the, there's some amazing works in this collection by some amazing artists. And often it's probably the most affordable way you can buy a piece by Joe Pease or Dimitri or, you know, there's there's just really awesome work kind of scattered throughout this like Jack Kaido you know, uh, so, you know, the fact that it's it's so much easier now to view that on OpenSea. I mean, you could always go to the, the Pepe website, which was great. But I, I feel like now more than ever, it's so much more accessible. And I just want to give a shout out to Emblem Vault for all the upgrades they've been doing. I really, really, really appreciate that. Yeah, we're still we're still in the process, but um, we've made some some uh, gigantic hurdles um, over the last few weeks. So we have we'll have some more updates here in the next few weeks about that. Uh, it does bring up a good point, and I'll, I'll present this to you, Brian, first, and I'll ask Coldy. Uh, we we have this kind of motto that we kind of run by at Emblem, and it's called meeting collectors where they are. Right. So when we did Coldy's ordinals drop, we brought it to Ethereum because Coldy said, "Hey, his collectors on Ethereum, they're probably more comfortable." getting those cells out. And when you release your art, do you ever take that into consideration of like making meeting collectors where they feel most comfortable? Or do you take the other side of bringing your community to a new opportunity and assisting them to kind of learn these new ecosystems? Or how do you think about that? That's a good question. I think sometimes I do drops with the hopes that it's an educational purpose to like show people what's possible. Um, but on the other end, one of the biggest challenges artists have right now is putting all of our stuff in one spot that's easily accessible, whether it's, you know, First Mates or Right Click Save or Deca or any of these things. Uh, the fact that, you know, Emblem Vault's more accessible makes it a lot easier for me to go point people to get my fake rare. So, so it's a bit of both. You know, everything you, you can, you know, I've done weird drops on weird platforms and you know, I think I was I was a part of the first Polygon he drop and like bridging was confusing and OpenSea didn't support it at the time and it was a huge mess. And so like as much as you try to push these things forward, sometimes you're pushing them a little too early. And so, you know, it's it's always a building process, but I'm excited that uh, things are continuing to improve. Everyone talks about the ups and downs of the space, but I, I'm a real believer that we're just continuing to push forward constantly. Agree. Large, large infrastructure improvements. Yeah, and a little side note um, before I pass this off to, to Coldy, one of the products that we want, that Emblem wants to release is these uh, multi-chain curated collections. So you can have basically Bitcoin, Bitcoin, ETH, Bitcoin NFTs, Ethereum NFTs, Solana NFTs, et cetera, all on one smart contract on Ethereum. So we believe that it'll be easier than to assess collections. So like, for example, one person we're talking with, he has a collection on Bitcoin stamps, Bitcoin ordinals, Ethereum inscriptions, I think cursed ordinals. And so to get those all on one smart contract will be a super cool experience once we do get to that. So that is a product that we think will also help uh, artists as well. And also we're pursuing a few different um, kind of royalty structures or trying to a little bit difficult from the technical side, but uh, yeah, pursuing all of those to make it a, a much, much easier experience. I, I would, I would love that for certain things. Like uh, say like the do drops thing I did earlier this year, that platform ends tomorrow because uh, it was built on recur. So if you have it, go, please uh, get it off of recur uh, by tomorrow. But like, that's something that like I could wrap into my own thing along with a bunch of other additions I've made and have a more full featured brand Brinkman editions, a uh, contract, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Basically, this is allowing you to take your 
you know, NFT, say it's an ETH NFT, but your collector's on Solana uh, and they want to actually hold it in their Solana wallet. You know, one button, they can migrate it to Solana. That, that sort of functionality uh, we think is going to be uh, pretty big. We're, we're betting heavily on it because we just know that people currently, at least uh, in Web3, do tend to get siloed in their, you know, respective blockchains. Yeah, it's like the contract to hold all contracts. Like- yeah, it, it's, t- it's tough compiling it all, right? As as Brian and Coldy were talking in the beginning, I was going through guys' websites on the live stream and you have to categorize them all, all differently and all these different links. It makes it a little bit difficult. And then you mentioned, right, you have some platforms that, that go under, right? There's been a handful of ETH NFT marketplaces that have gone under, unfortunately, over this bear market. So, And you don't want to lose those assets. Um, so to keep that integrity yeah. there is very important. So I'm just thinking... Like Coldy has um, NFT boxes. I own a couple of his NFT boxes. I wonder, can you wrap ETH within another, like an ETH contract into a new ETH contract? Because like, yeah, absolutely. Could, could he then put it under Coldy's minting name, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, all, all of that's is possible. We have a pretty good dev team. I mean, it's just getting there, I guess, is the the hard part. But every, cool. we we want to support, yeah, artists in in any way possible. So getting that all in one one spot, and then eventually it's to then hand the keys off to the artist, so that emblem doesn't even have to control the contract. But yeah, getting there, getting there in time, hopefully should happen some point next year. Yeah, I guess the challenge is identifying the artist in every blockchain, right? If you made a name change or something, it's like how? Yeah, yeah, I agree, right? And then the proliferation of just Bitcoin NFTs and all the different types. There's like six or seven different protocols now on Bitcoin that are all minting art. So <laughs> tough to follow. Coldy, I did want to present you this question because you've kind of been on the frontier of this, of uh, meeting collectors where they are versus the educational piece. Uh, you have ETH NFTs, you've done counterparty, you've done Bitcoin ordinals. And when you go into you know minting on a new blockchain or protocol, what, what type of thoughts and considerations um, do you think about before releasing the project? I think it's like kind of, I mean, my first answer is that essentially like we decide our destiny and as an artist, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I think that as, as we go down a path and we find people who are in our tribe, there is a sense of like kind of looking out for them in a sense, but also more like they need to trust the artist. And if you want to be a part of the ride, maybe I take a left turn and I do something totally different and they can choose to be a part of that or not. But I think it's, it's super important not to like start pandering to a market or like what your one of one collectors are saying to you. Like, oh, if you mint over there, I'm not going to buy it. Well, it probably says more about your relationship with the artist or, or whatever. It just, that, I, I hate having that be a thought in my mind because it just pollutes everything, right? So for me, when I decided to go to, let's say, you know, specifically like when I did my ordinals drop, it was awesome because when I've done a lot of uh, mints in the in the past, you know, some of them were Bitcoin themed and it just didn't quite feel right to be tokenizing on Ethereum when I was doing like Bitcoin themed art. So when I was proposed this the ordinals drop and the Casey Rod Armor portrait I did, those were specific to the chain. And I think that adds a lot to the the, the story, the theme, the provenance, the historical the relevance is to use the, the chain as an aesthetic and a part of the story itself. And I think that collectors over time can see that theme, right? And before I was just always ether. So shit, the Bitcoin idea went on to Ether too, right? Because that's all I have. But now that I think about that, whenever I do 
ordinals drops, there is that consideration, right? Like what is the storyline that makes this an ordinals drop? It's not just another place to put art. Yeah, very, very well put. It is interesting to to hear all of the the variety of of uh, perspectives that all of the faker artists uh, portray, bringing you know your own community's cultural relevance. Uh, it is really awesome. Uh, we have been doing this for about an hour, so I, I want to respect everybody's time. Uh, Brian, Coldy, I really appreciate you guys for coming on the the Fake Rare Show. We do this every Wednesday. It's really cool to uh, sit down and just hear your perspectives, not just on. You know, art, but but Bitcoin and and pursuing kind of your your integrity from your artistic expressions, all of it. I really really appreciate it for both of you. Thanks for having us. This is fun. Yeah, thanks. It's always a pleasure, Brian. Huge fan. Shout out. It's great to get. We we meet friends. Like let's let's just take a second. Like I call Brian a friend, and I'm I'm forty. I'm a forty year old man, and it's very hard to find friends when you're older. It's <laughs> like we live our lives, and like I just want to give a shout out to everybody who's. Made taking the chance to meet somebody in the space, not just for flipping, but to like to be friends with. Right. Like, and, and Brian's one of those people, like whenever I fucking see him around, it like, it lightens my day. We just have fun together. He's a great guy. And that goes to other people I've met, but like just big hug to Brian. He's the fucking shit. Wonderful artist. There's just a lot of love in the space too. Let's not forget about that. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Am I going to see you in Miami? You are. Hell yeah. Is it going to be a play show in Miami? There was uh, last year. I hope so. See you there. Yeah, there is. There know. is. Yeah. I believe yep, they absolutely. were. I believe. I believe they were considering it last time we talked. They were talking about. It. I don't know for certain though. This girl is yeah. to talk to, but I know they have a mansion for Miami, and probably there's gonna be a party, but don't have all the details. A Pepe Mansion party sounds like a do not miss. <laughs> like a blackout on the stairs type of thing. Or you just like wake up on the stairs. That's wake up in the backyard. Sprinklers going. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. Release the frogs. Let's go. Release the frogs. Yeah, Brian again, Coldy, <laughs> really appreciate it. For those who don't know, we host this show every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. We talk everything from rare pepes to counterparty to multi-chain to collecting. That's everything we want to do. The complete antithesis of some of the other spaces that you typically see in the space. We're here for love and collecting and the blockchain. And so tomorrow we're talking with Transient Labs and Seneca talking about a new ERC-7-7160 standard. Adam is going to be speaking at some Costa Rican crypto conference. <laughs> Shady Costa Rican crypto conference. <laughs> Blockchain jungle. If anybody's in Costa Rica tomorrow, it is supposedly big. I don't know. We're going to have some fun over there. I don't know what I'm, what I'm talking about yet, but I'm sure we'll have some fun. Gotta, gotta love it. Again, yeah, feel free, everyone. Make sure you give everyone a follow. Give Brian a follow. Give Coldy a follow. Give Vault and everyone a follow. And we'll see you guys then tomorrow. We'll